uh, let's see, maybe two weeks ago, I was here last, and I gave a talk addressing what seemed to be um, just a palpable layer of uh, stress that (laughs) seemed to be pervading (laughs) most of the people that... um, uh, that I interacted with. Thanks, Ernie. Oh, yeah, good. Okay. Um, including myself. <laughs> and so I wanted to address the stress head on. And this was stress that, uh, it seemed like, okay, we're all, we're all in our own world right now and dealing with whatever is going on in our world. So it, it might be, um, you know, stress from difficult relationships or job or, um, maybe health, um, problems or even really looking at our own mortality, um, change, uncertainty. And then on top of it is just this global stress that is then you know, packed on top of what we're already working with. And that that just seemed like uh, um, everyone I was talking to, everyone was kind of right at their edge of capacity or had gone over the edge. (laughs) And I had been noticing myself, you know, hitting that edge and then feeling the overwhelm. Um, So kind of coming over that edge myself. And so ways to to meet that, how to bring ourselves back into some sense of balance. And um, so I gave a, a, a short formula, a simple formula to try out of first grounding in the body, really using this body to come back to presence. You know, we can use the breath if that's helpful. I always find just the the way I guide the meditations each week, where we start with the body sitting on the ground, um, I think that's really helpful. I think that most of us are used to our awareness or our consciousness being somewhere way up here in our thinking mind or even outside of ourself, kind of out of body. So first bringing our attention down into the weight of being here and using that to our advantage. And then calling out the hindrances. We can get so stuck into the storyline of what's going on around our stress. But if we distill it down into what am I really experiencing right now that has just got me caught or has me overwhelmed or stuck or numb, we can often distill it into those five wonderful hindrances, the hindrances of the mind and heart. Uh, Desire, uh, aversion, restlessness, worry, the sloth and torpor, and the doubt. Those five. And so we talked a little bit about that. And so just noticing them that they're present, calling them out. You know, oh, it's just restlessness. Oh, this is just doubt. And how that starts to 
untangle what seems like such a mess in our mind. It starts to not just simplify it, but clarify what is really going on here. What am I really experiencing that feels so impossible right now into something that's actually very manageable and, and something that um, we can get to know really well. And then from there, bringing in tenderness, the sense of care for our struggle, which I brought in this last sit, a way to not further push away our experience, but to be able to turn towards it in this very kind uh, way where we're inclining the heart to open towards the difficulty. This is a very gentle approach uh, to that difficulty, which I think is necessary. A friend of mine the other day was reminding me of those finger traps. You know those finger traps? You put your fingers in both ends, and then you know what we instinctively do to get our fingers out is pull as hard as you know as hard as you can, and that clamps down onto your fingers, and you can't get them out. This is often how we react to our stress and our difficulty, except instead of, you know, the finger trap, it's more of this aversion, push it away or bandage it up, fix it, fix it in some way so I don't have to really look at it, or a numbness towards it, just can't even be with it. And it can be very counterintuitive to turn towards the difficulty in this very loving way, because we don't want to love it. (laughs) We don't really want to love our suffering. We don't want to get that close to it. It's not intuitive, but that's what this practice is, is turning towards the difficult in this very tender, gentle way, so that we can begin to understand it, and so that it no longer has the power over our minds. And then from there, the last step was knowing your heart, knowing what its capacity is, knowing what it really needs. So it may not need more, you know, news at that moment. (laughs) Or it might need to go uh, on a walk with a friend. Or it might need to go for a run. Or it might just need to sit down and practice and just be with the breath for a while. Being very in tune with our actual needs, not with some idea of what we think we should be doing, what our capacity should be in this moment, but rather being very authentic and real with ourself and meeting ourselves right where we are in this very compassionate and practical way. So those were the four things. And then this evening I want to continue this this thread and bring in uh, another uh, possibility to to work with the imbalance in our minds. And um, that is to turn our attention towards this uh, wholesome, good, Uh, the things that nurture us, the things we can appreciate 
in our life. And the reason I think we need to do this, the reason this is so important, you know, to be able to turn towards the difficult, we also need to be, um, we need to be able to turn towards its opposite and know when the difficult isn't present. Both of those things have to be known in this practice. And sometimes we forget to talk about that part because <laughs> there's just so much focus on the dukkha or the suffering or discontent. Mostly because that's what brought us here in the first place. But really what we're looking for is this other piece. <laughs> and the reality is that both of them are here. Both of them exist in this human experience. When we are stuck in our stress, when we have that stressful mind, it's like tunnel vision. All we can see is, you know, all the negative, horrible, bad things that are happening maybe in the world, happening in our um, neck of the woods, happening within ourself. We become biased and focused, almost, our mind almost gets obsessed with finding out what's wrong with this moment. And the more and more we do that, and the more we do it collectively, and we're collectively doing this, we get into a habit of just seeing that side of humanity of seeing that side of our own humanity. Maybe it's having an effect on how we perceive ourselves. Um, igniting uh, this relationship of maybe self-hatred or uh, a lot of self-judgment. That's not helpful. Not constructive <laughs> judgment, but the kind that just is never satisfied with who you are in any given moment. And so there's no peace in that. And we can use the practice to turn towards this, these states and get to know them. But if that's all we do, most of us, our minds and our hearts just can't stay with it. It's too much. It becomes overwhelming. It's hard to stay in balance. And then if you don't have the practice going, it's really, really hard. (laughs) You know, I don't know how you do it. Um, And so it's important to expand our vision, our view, to hold this fuller um, uh, view of, of the human experience to include the suffering or the dukkha, the stress, and the non-stress, the non-suffering, that both are present. They're present within us, and they're present in the world. So we don't want to forget that. There's, of course, in uh, neuroscience, that um, expression of the positive sticks to us, or no, the negative sticks to us like Velcro, uh, the way that we remember events in the way that we 
um, are always on the lookout for what's wrong in this moment, the way that we process that in our mind, uh, the simplified kind of fun, fun version of thinking of it is that it really sticks to our consciousness like Velcro. It's um, very accessible. And this is part of our survival. It's good to know what isn't going right. We learn from that. It's good to know where the danger is. We survive because of that. But when we're hyper-sensitive in this way, when our mind becomes bias in this way to just seeing that part of life, that's where that overwhelm comes in. And then they say the positive is like Teflon. <laughs> it's not that we, it's not in there, but as far as retrieving that information, um, it's, it's not as easy. It's just that Teflon. It doesn't stick in the same way. Unless, for most of us, we're intentional about it. We go looking for the good. We go looking for that nourishment. It's its own practice, not separate from being in touch with the suffering. It's the same practice, just different sides of the street, but totally necessary to support each other. If we only focus on the good and we deny you know, the, the negative, the challenging, uh, the disappointing, whatever, if we ignore that, then we're not living in reality either. So both are necessary. So what I'd like us to do is um, practice it. I'd like to lead you through just a short practice. I know we just sat for some time, um, but I think the only way to really get into this is by you having a taste of it and experiencing it. You've all experienced this before anyway, but this is a way to remember that you know how to do this already. So I'd like to have you just be comfortable, sit in a way that feels comfortable right now. And we're going to use appreciations or gratitudes to bring in these feelings of the good, the nourishing. And so take a moment, you can close your eyes if that helps, and think about something in your life right now that you're so grateful for. And it can be a person, it can be something you have or something you get to do. It can be a simple thing. It could be the feeling of being in the sunshine, which we've been having lately or cuddling up with your cat on the couch. Or your favorite walk.
bring at least one thing to mind that you can really appreciate. And as you do this, there might be many things that come to mind. That's wonderful. That's just fine. See if there's something as you go through the list of different things that you're grateful for that really stands out. And then as you have these appreciations in mind, notice how it feels to be gladdened by this thing or this person, these many things. Turn your focus toward the feeling of happiness, peace, gratitude. Might be feelings of abundance or love. So noticing the feeling of gratitude and appreciation is important, but we want to go another step further and bring this experience fully into our body. I like to think of it as bathing the cells of our body and mind in this goodness or wholesomeness. And so if you're in touch with the feelings that are coming up from your gratitudes, see what it's like to allow that feeling to expand as large as it wants to be. And as you breathe, breathing in deeply, inclining that feeling to expand and fill every cell of your being. As you breathe out, relaxing in that feeling,
And the feeling will change. It might get bigger, it might get smaller. And that's just fine. You can't really control how long it will last. But you can feel the residue of this practice. And feel how it can uplift the mind and soften the heart and our availability to the moment. And so if you were able to follow that and touch into this in some way, notice also just how this feels overall, how it feels maybe different from other points in your day that felt hard or stressful. It can be helpful to connect that, yes, there's a lot of stress and difficulty in the world and within our own world, our inner world. And there's this possibility for something different. And then to end, you can take a deep breath in and a deep breath out. Let your eyes open. (laughs) And then let's hear from a few of you uh, what what that was like. And you don't... You know, I'd love to hear um, how well that worked for you, but I'd also love to hear if it was a challenge in some way or there was some confusion in it for you. Um, so we can we can hear both. What was that like? Yeah. Um, I had uh, two different things come up. Um, the first one was a dear um, old friend of mine from age six who is, I thought of her immediately, um, my gratefulness for her um, 
being uh, very sweet recently and hearing her voice on the phone and um, and she was very generous towards me. So the part that was hard is that the subject matter of why she's helping me started entering. Mm. So I um, then I I went to um, uh, napping under trees instead <laughs> for a while, which helped a lot. And Great. I've recently been connecting with nature way more than usual. And um, I I got into seeing the ripple of the leaves and the wind and um, was able to take that little seed of that experience and expand it out quite large when you were suggesting that. So the nature really helped. Um, And then, interestingly enough, I guess I was able to go back to my dear friend and feel a little bit more calm and peaceful about Mm. thinking about her and not thinking about the hardness. That's wonderful. So it sounds like you were able to to navigate it actually really well. The first initial gratitude or appreciation was complicated or maybe a little too complicated and then charged. Yeah, great. Great way to put it. And then finding some other avenue <laughs> to to explore this there's probably many other um, gratitudes there too that you have in your life. And so it's just a great example for us all that, you know, as we're trying this on, not everything is a great fit, but there is actually so much abundance that if we start tuning into it and start looking for it, we'll find that right fit. We'll find the thing that just brings in that nourishment. And then I love that you were able to take it back to the original one. That's where this becomes very powerful, that we can start to link this um, capacity that we have that's built up from focusing on the wholesome and then turning it towards something that is more difficult, which then allows us to hold it in a very different way. The way our mind is able to hold it. It's not that the situation is different, but just the openness in the mind. Maybe more clarity, just more capacity is available, and so suddenly we can relate to it in a very different way. And that's that's what we um, that's what we want to do with this practice. Thank you very much. I uh, I was in a good mood tonight. I'm I'm not always in a good mood, and uh, I don't come here very often. And uh, I had a kind of a good meditation rest, and uh, mm-hmm. my mind was particularly open. So thank you. I, I enjoyed the experience, and uh, I don't know <laughs> if I wasn't in a good mood if I would have uh, validated or been open to what you did tonight. Mm-hmm. If that makes any sense. So. Uh-huh. Uh, I wish I could say <laughs> I would have been open to it in any event, but maybe not. So I'm not sure what precedes what, but thank you. <laughs> <laughs> it's a good question. 
That's a really good question. I think that when we're not in a good mood, it's a lot harder to think of what we're grateful for. But there's something that happens in the mind when we can stick with it and not just go with the grumpiness. And with as much of our intention as possible, shift our mind to something else, then that changes everything. It starts to erode that grumpiness. It's us saying, I'm not going to buy into grumpiness as being my only option right now. And sometimes that's hard because we're dedicated to the grumpiness. <laughs> sometimes we really... we have a you know an appreciation just for that we kind of like being in the comfort of our grumpiness and so it, it takes a lot of intentionality to shift the mind in this way this is a practice that is um definitely based in buddhism but has been brought out more and articulated really well by Rick Hansen who's a psychologist and really um um breaks down the neuroscience of of the practice. And so this is something that he brings out a lot in his in his teachings and he talks about how um you know with the mind we can change the brain. And it's it's that shift that when we intentionally move our mind towards something else when we start to focus in a different way when we choose to open up even just a little bit it's not like you have to be exploding with love and gratitude or anything it can be just a little seed of eh, okay i'll try <laughs> and then we shift towards yeah all right i kind of like this and then see what happens from there just that little bit of willingness and staying with it our mind begins to change our brain they talk about the neurons that fire together as we are thinking in certain ways the neurons different neurons are firing together when we are stuck in the rut of grumpiness and stress we get habitually um we get in this habit of operating in a certain way our brain is wired together in a particular way because we're so used to thinking in that way if we are you know habitually grumpy or habitually um sad um or angry about something or everything <laughs> uh, and we're just feeding our brain in that way then our brain wires in that way and it's very hard to shift those habits the wonderful thing about our humanness is that we can shift those habits. And so as we begin to use our practice and it is a practice, we have to work on it as we bring our practice to these um different states and little by little begin to make new connections in the brain, we can start to wire in a very different way than maybe we were before. And those of you who have been practicing for a long time have experienced this your your brains are working differently and you you some of you are saying yes <laughs> you've experienced this
just works different. So I appreciate your comment. <laughs> I think it's true. And, um, and there's something really powerful about that, about doing it anyway. Okay. We have time for maybe one more. Yeah, right here. Oh, raise your hand one more time. Thank you. This is so very interesting to me because um, a few weeks ago we went to a, a retreat with Amitana Santi, uh-huh. and and she talked about what to do when you're just flooded and you have no skillful responses, and she suggested shifting the attention as you're as you're mentioning, mm-hmm. and. Um, so I've been trying that, and I, I have a long time ago uh, took James Braz's Awakening Joy class, and uh-huh. so I thought shifting the attention to joy would be a perfect thing to do that. Yeah. So for the last few weeks, I've been really working on that, and what's kind of amazing to me is it only seemed to take a few weeks to get that response to get quite deep. Mm. And so, um, so, uh, I'm, I'm just totally thrilled with, uh, neuroplasticity, which, uh, <laughs> Amathana Santi calls applied dependent origination. Which is kind <laughs> so of fun. great. <laughs> yes. I mean, that is, yes, applied dependent origination, which is kind of the structure coming from the Buddha of how we create uh, and then descent, uh, deconstruct our suffering. And, um, yeah, I, this is, this is stuff that is now being proven through science, but is very much a part of the structure of Buddhist practice. Um, but thank you. You're a billboard for, <laughs> that's wonderful. It's really wonderful. And it, um, you know, what it what it brings to us then is this ability to not only just feel better. It brings in, you know, it, it brings in our um, more self compassion. It brings more, um, like I said, kind of this uplift and joy and happiness, um, availability to connection. All of these things are the beautiful byproducts of a practice like this it also helps us turn back towards the difficult and meet it in a different way than maybe we could before. Certainly in a different way from overwhelm. When we are approaching difficulty, we're trying to figure it out and do something about it or help ourselves from these states of real stress and overwhelm. You know what's trying to figure it out is an overwhelmed mind. It, it can't it can't it doesn't have the capacity it it's, it isn't what figures it out the overwhelm and the confusion that is not what figures it out it's not what ends up helping us through uh that difficulty we have to come back to something else and what's so lovely is that this is part of the human capacity too the shifting of the mind to something uh, that is um, supportive, that is strengthening, strengthening the mind 
so that we can then hold so much more. You know, at the time of the Buddha, there were a lot of um, different practices that were popular uh, in India where the Buddha is from and, and practiced. And a lot of the um, the practices were about transcending life, transcending humanness. And this was done in a variety of ways. A lot of um, uh, body um, stressing and, and manip- um, um, body harming and um, deprecation and things like this. Very extreme on one end. And then a lot on the opposite end, too, of um, only looking at the joy and the, the, the feel-good uh, and having that be um, the spiritual practice in the way towards more awakening. And what the Buddha d- did was come somewhere in the middle of all of that, saying that oh, I'm not trying to transcend humanness, through either direction, whether it's through deprecation or through um, uh, the transcendence of joy and love. It's not that I need to transcend the humanness. I can actually use this human, these human experiences to transform instead of transcend which has a much more permanent effect on our heart and mind and can be taken all the way to uh, enlightenment or mental freedom, uh, ultimate wisdom, compassion. And so it is through the humanness of our experiences that we become more and more awake, And we can do it in this way of finding the balance uh, between that dukkha and the non-dukkha. So, something to think about and something to take into your week. Uh, Look for opportunities. So you can do it through gratitude. You can do it through looking for the joy uh, in your day. Make it a game. Uh, see, challenge yourself. If you get to the end of your day and you think, oh, I totally forgot. In that moment, think of three things that you're grateful for, for that day. And just notice what it does to your mindset. See what it feels like in the body. Take some time to really absorb it in. Remember, it's one thing to be aware of these states but it's another step to really fully take it in and experience it like we did in that meditation. And then see, see what happens. I won't be here next week. James will be here next week. But I'll be here the week after, and I'm going to ask <laughs> if anyone had luck doing this practice and how that's um, helping you, hopefully. I'm going to be doing it too. <laughs> I need this practice too. And so we can share a little bit the next time I'm here, and um, we'll take it further. And I'd like to talk a bit about the Brahma Viharas or the heart practices, um, which this certainly is a heart practice, but there's some more to be explored, uh, like self-compassion 
is one that is coming to mind that I'd love to explore with you. So we'll just keep going on this thread when I, when I come, and, uh, and I hope that you take this more into your day. Uh, we have a little bit of time if there's any questions about this idea or this practice, and then we'll dedicate the merit. Yes, and if you'll wait for the mic, that just helps those who are using hearing devices and people listening online. Um, yeah, I'll, I'll just make a comment, a quick comment, and say that um, that uh, maybe it's a little bit of a call out to the difficult again, but um, what I'll say is that I think there's some really valuable insight that can come up when we're trying to practice the positive and something interferes with that. I think, it, you know, like... Um, if you're trying to practice gratitude around something that's happening in your life that you should feel gratitude to and something else you notice comes up and blocks that, I, th- I think that's something deep coming from the unconscious that might be preventing you from having that joy in many areas of your life. So mm-hmm. I think it's worth looking at and trying to label perhaps and see if it comes up in different situations. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, it's not always so clean. It's It can be, it gets complicated like somebody shared. Um, but that's all part of it. We can go. We can navigate that. I think a little bit more easily when we're looking at this fuller range. Yes, right back here, and yeah, there we go. Thank you. This was very interesting. Um, uh, I wanted to comment on when you mentioned the hindrances and what I've learned about those a bit before. Overwhelm. I don't know where it quite fits, but I've been literally just experiencing overwhelm as a thing. Uh-huh. Like, and that ends up being kind of funny. Like, That's great. okay, I've just had too much going in. Yeah. Um, so it has the hindrance aspect and maybe a little bit more um, playful. Um, there's a little bit of freedom in having everything go, you know, mind go blank kind of feelings. It's a little scary, but... Um, so I wonder if there's, if you could say anything about just literally the physical experience of overwhelm mm-hmm. um, as a hindrance or or an opening. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, I think it, overwhelm is kind of a... I wonder if it's not an, an umbrella word for a variety of different experiences. Um, so maybe it depends on uh, the individual and also just what's going on in life. So overwhelm can um, feel like anxiety... Uh, intense anxiety. Uh, it can feel like a numbness for some people. Um, I think sometimes uh, it can be rage. It turns into uh, intense anger that maybe was sparked by one thing, but then that's lost, and it's just we're angry at everything that approaches us. Um, so it can be a lot of different things. Depression can be an overwhelm response. Many different things. I think, though, all of those are somehow tied together with confusion. There's some state we're just not seeing clearly. We can't see the way forward. It's blinding. Overwhelm is blinding. And we usually know it. It's so strong that we know that that's true. We just, there's, 
it, it, we can feel helpless and overwhelmed for that reason. We can feel really alone in our overwhelm for that reason. We just can't see not only um, the way forward, but maybe even the suffering of others and the similarity and the connection that we have actually in that, that we're not alone, but it feels very alone. Um, so I, I think that answers your question. And it speaks to the joy or uh, gratitude that I found also. So mm. thank you. That's great. Thank you. Okay. Oh, one more. Um, thank you for this is sort of perfect timing. Um, there's a couple of things. One of the complicating things is that, um, well, f- first of all, it always amazes me how easy it is to forget that I have this tool when I need it most. Yeah. Like, like what was it? I was, it's like trying to remember the restaurant you thought you wanted to go to when, it, when you're hungry. You know what I mean? It's like, <laughs> like, what was that thing I knew I was supposed to do? I can't remember. I'm too upset. That's right. Um, that's one complication. And the other is that there's just this very tricky balance between honoring where you are, where you truly are, Mm-hmm. With, without trying to just be somewhere else, you know, and and you know, like, can you talk a little bit about that? Like, yeah, it's a great question. You know, okay, I'm upset. It's that's just the truth of it, and I and I'm feeling a, a new wave of grief for, for the losses that I've gone through, yeah. and that's real for me, and. It, and in, I, like, I had a very interesting experience of going into my job and kind of being all over the place and upset yesterday. And then today, feeling somewhat self-conscious about that and then wanting to go in with a better attitude today and kind of got into a better frame of mind for the benefit of the people that I work with. So that worked. But, it, like, it wasn't my head trying figuring it out. It was more intuitive and mm-hmm. um, organic. And it was just as effective, but um, it just sort of took the right timing. Yeah. Um, so I just, thought, just wanted a, to bring that up. Yeah, it's a great um, comment and question. There's a couple of things that come to mind. One is that, you know, if we are in the depths of overwhelm, and we've never practiced anything like this before, it's a steep learning curve in those moments to be able to shift that mind, that that brain, right, that's already dedicated (laughs) in one direction and say, ooh, I want you to go this way. You know, it's more like you're turning a giant ship, (laughs) and it takes time. And it takes practice. And some of that might mean just being right where you're at. Actually, it, it, it is necessary to know right where you're at. Oh, this is just really hard. 
We have to start there. I'm really suffering right now. I'm really overwhelmed. I'm um, totally confused as to what to do next. Because without that, there's no, you know, if we're not conscious of it and we're just kind of plowing forward in our unconsciousness, there's no starting point, if that makes sense. So acknowledging just where we are is definitely part of this process and a necessary one. And from there, it is a bit intuitive of, you know, what do we need next? And so this practice might be a good fit in those moments, and there might be a different practice that is calling and more intuitive in that moment. And it might take a lot of different practices to really fully turn the mind um, into more clarity and openness and and then be able to move forward from there. I think this particular practice can work in those moments, but it might be easier to do if it's something we're doing ongoingly. We already have uh, that um, habit in the mind. We're not having to build it in the depths of our struggle. Not that that's not possible, and for some when we're in that struggle and we're just totally fed up and we're in that moment where we say, oh, I just totally give up. Sometimes it's in those moments where we just stop fighting anymore that we, something else comes in spontaneously. We're not in control of it, but it can be a deep compassion. It can be a release. Um, It can be many different things. It doesn't always go that way. Sometimes it goes further into despair, but there can be something that happens in those moments. Um, Otherwise, though, I think having this kind of practice, this, um, this way of navigating before we find ourselves in our deepest struggles makes it so much more accessible. We're more prone to remember it. We're more familiar with how to navigate using it. Um, so I wonder about that. But, you know, we're, it's, it's, there's no um, right way in terms of how to use all these techniques and strategies. It's different every time. <laughs> it's always changing. Sometimes we can really trust our intuition, and sometimes our intuition is just not available. (laughs) And we have to trust in others to help navigate. And the other thing is, you know, we're just not in that level of control. I've been saying that a lot lately here. Um, Because I think a lot of what comes up is this idea of how to navigate these things assuming that we have that kind of control. And I don't think we often do. I think some of this, we do it poorly (laughs) because we may not have an option in those moments. And other times we find ourselves remembering, right, the practice, right, it's just, you know, overwhelm. It's just doubt. It's just fear okay, I know what to do. <laughs> but even in that, you know, that's, 
It's mysterious. So it's just something to think about, especially if you feel like, I am really not navigating my life (laughs) very well, and I should have more agency around this. Maybe, but maybe not. Maybe you're really doing the best that you can, and that patience is needed, and just some, some care that you're in a process, and that you aren't in that much control. You have some, but not total control. It just doesn't work that way. If we did, we wouldn't need all of this stuff. <laughs> right? We wouldn't choose this. So just to take heart and remember that, and that we're all in that together. Right? Okay. So why don't we end there? And I have a lot of dedication cards, um, which I will read out. So we, we always end dedicating the merit, and this is a time to reflect on this is the time that we've spent here. We intentionally came here to spend our time in this way, and this is a really wholesome way to spend our time, cultivating in the practice, practicing in community, listening and exploring the Dharma. Uh, and we may come here for ourselves and our own self-benefit, but it never stops with us. That the benefit of practicing and spending time in this way uh, has ripple effects. It affects the people we interact with, our loved ones, our coworkers, uh, people in our community, and then those ripple effects go even beyond that in ways we don't understand. And so, in that spirit, we can dedicate the merit this evening um, to all beings everywhere, including ourselves. And then, in particular, we'll just bring these names into the room, uh, whom you have on your hearts and minds this evening. To Vivian, uh, quite, the second part doesn't quite make sense, but um, they have something after 12 years. Anyone's Vivian, is this your person? Okay, well, we're dedicating the merit tonight to Vivian. Uh, to my nephew's wife, uh, who has stage four cancer, and they have a seventh-month-old baby son. And so we'll be dedicating the merit to their family. Metta to my friend Ellie, whose mother is going for cancer surgery, to Thomas struggling with addiction, sending my boss slash friend, Nikki, Metta. She lost her job today. Wishing love for Liz before she has a new baby, and sending gratitude to Grant. And then we can take a moment of silence if there's Anyone else on your heart and mind, you can just think of them.
may the benefits of our time here together be for the benefit of all beings everywhere. May all beings find happiness and contentment in their lives. May all beings have safety. May all beings be healthy in their mind and in their body. May all beings be free. May we all be free. Thank you for your attention. Have a good night. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.